Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit today after a week sitting under the faithful preaching of Pastor Ricardo Vargas. However, before we get to our sermon today, I just wanted to take a moment to wish all of our fathers here today a very happy Father's Day. Fathers, it has been my prayer for you all this week that you be strong that you show yourselves as men, and that you keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies. Because if those words were good enough for David to pass on to his son Solomon, then they are most definitely a good enough prayer for each and every one of you here. Therefore, to all of our fathers who are here this morning, happy Father's Day. And I pray, fathers, that you continue to lead your families in the ways of the Lord. As for our sermon this morning, we will be picking up today right where Pastor Ricardo left off last week in the Gospel of Mark, that being in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, as we will be looking today at a narrative concerning that of a Syrophoenician woman which actually comes to us, church, right on the heels of Jesus Christ again dealing with that of the religious leaders of the day or that of the scribes and the Pharisees who made it a point to come down from Jerusalem and to gather around Jesus Christ upset at this time at the fact that Jesus' disciples, chapter 7, verse 2, were eating with hands that were defiled. Or to put it another way, church, the scribes and the Pharisees were upset here because Jesus wasn't making his disciples submit to the traditions of the elders or to their man-made legalistic laws and commands. And thus Jesus Christ, he quite frankly then, calls the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 6 that of hypocrites and goes on to say to them in verse 8 that they leave the commandments of God and instead hold fast to the traditions of men, and that they would much rather, church, hold fast to and side with and follow their own man-made legalistic laws and commands and that of the very commandments of God. To which Jesus Christ then, after calling a crowd of people over to himself, says to them in verse 15 that there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And what Jesus Christ was getting at here, church, or was trying to explain to the crowd here, church, was that the food that went into a person's body, that it could not defile them. Since verse 19, it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and then is expelled. Whereas instead, verse 20, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them, in that it's the heart church that ultimately determines if a person is clean or unclean, defiled or undefiled, still dead in their sins or alive in Jesus Christ, meaning that if God has not taken a person's heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh and by grace regenerated them so that they can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that 
it does not matter then what food goes into a person or doesn't, or what man-made laws that person keeps or doesn't, or even what sacred traditions a person follows or doesn't, because without a new heart that only God himself can give, that person will still remain far from God, totally depraved, radically corrupt, and completely dead in their sins. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ is for all people groups and for all nations, even for that of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ is for all people groups and for all nations, even for that of the Gentiles. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you today, because we truly do want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, is that you read it, starting today, by turning your brand new Bible to page 843, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 7 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically today at verses 24 through 30 where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that you open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to see the depth of this text. Father, let us not this morning project our 21st century common notions or thoughts into the text, but let us see this morning the love of our Savior Jesus Christ that he has for even that of the Gentiles, that the good news of the kingdom of God, that it was to go to the Jew first, but then also to the Greek, 
and that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he came into this world not just to save one people group and to give blessings to one people group, but he came so that his blood would be poured out on people groups from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. Let us see that wondrous and beautiful mystery this morning, Father. Father, I also pray that you help this morning my lisping and stammering tongue. Father, give me focus and clarity to give your people, this dear flock, these sheep, the sheep that the good shepherd Jesus Christ gave his life up for. Father, let me be faithful this morning in bringing your word to these people that it be edifying to them, that they, it builds them up in their confidence in your word, in their Savior, and in their God. And Father, that we leave here today as a church family, being quick to pray for one another, to intercede on behalf of one another, to lift each other up in prayer as we as a church body grow together in the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Through this mighty and wonderful work, I pray, Father, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Jesus Christ is willing to bless both Jew and Gentile since he loves them both. Jesus Christ is willing to bless both Jew and Gentile since he loves them both. Verses 24 through 27, which reads, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So as we see here in verse 24, church, after yet another conflict between the religious leaders of the day and that of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ then, he leaves this region of Galilee, and from there, verse 24, goes away into the region of Tyre and Sidon, or heads northbound, church, into the southern parts of Syria, or into a Gentile region that actually opposes that of Israel, is antagonistic toward that of Israel, and is steeped in pagan culture and tradition. And yet, despite all of that, church, Jesus Christ still travels likely about 20 miles here from Galilee into this Gentile region. And as we see then in verse 24, enters into a house and does not want anyone to know likely indicating here that he was just trying at this time to find a quiet place to get away from it all, away from the scribes and the Pharisees, in order for him and for his disciples to finally get some rest. However, church, as each and every one of us knows, the anointed one of God, 
the eternal Son of God, and the King of the kingdom of God, for he most certainly, verse 24, cannot be hidden. Therefore, immediately, as we then see in verse 25, a woman whose little daughter, who had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, this wasn't just any woman here, church, who comes to Jesus Christ and who falls down at his feet. But this is, verse 26, a Gentile woman here, a Syrophoenician woman here, and as Matthew puts it in chapter 15, a Canaanite woman here, which as one scholar bluntly puts it, of all the people who approach Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark, this, had to have been, this woman had to have had the most against her from a Jewish perspective. For verse 26 simply reads like a crescendo of demerit, whereas even Levi the tax collector must have had his eyebrows raised when this woman came to Jesus Christ and began to beg him. And yet despite all of that, this Gentile woman, she still courageously and bravely and nobly comes to Jesus Christ here, no matter how improper or inappropriate or unsuitable it might have been, and begs Jesus Christ here to cast the demon out of her daughter. However, and what is just so fascinating about this narrative church is the initial response that Jesus Christ gives to this Gentile woman here. And I say that because Jesus Christ, he responds back to her in verse 27 by saying initially, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And at first glance, and at first read, you might be sitting there this morning, church, thinking, for what on earth did Jesus Christ just say? For those can't really be the words of Jesus Christ here, can they? I mean, this is the guy who cleansed the leper, healed the paralytic, and restored the man with the withered hand. The guy who casted out demons, made the hemorrhaging woman well, and who even brought Jairus' daughter back from the dead. The same guy who has been ever so patient with his disciples here, ever so compassionate to those who were like sheep without a shepherd, and who literally has taken the time to listen to even the least of these. And yet here we see him saying to this Gentile woman that it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Children here referring to that of the people of Israel and dogs here referring to that of the Gentile people or to those who were not Jews were common metaphors, church, used by the people of Israel of the day since they viewed themselves as the children of God and Gentiles as unclean dogs who were unworthy of being part of the family of God. Nevertheless, when Jesus Christ says in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, that is 100% not what Jesus Christ was getting at here. And I say that initially because the word that Jesus Christ uses here for dogs in the Greek was not that of a wild dog or a scavenger type of dog, which was typically how the Jews described that of the Gentiles, but instead it was a word more often used to communicate that of little dogs, as the New King James puts it or even that of puppies, as the International Standard Version puts it. 
And thus, with that context in mind here, what Jesus Christ then seems to be doing here, church, is giving this Gentile woman a parable of sorts in order to explain to her at this time that the priority of his ministry was to bless the people of Israel, verse 27, first, and to feed the people of Israel first, and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the people of Israel first, or before that of the Gentiles. And thus, just as a person would never take the bread that was to be given first to their child and instead feed it to the pet dog, so too was Jesus. Jesus Christ then focused on feeding, if you will, or ministering to the people of Israel first. Since the good news of the kingdom of God was to go to the Jew first, Romans chapter 1, and only then to the Gentile. However, church, in order to truly understand this interaction between Jesus Christ and this desperate Gentile woman, I think we also have to view this interaction through the lens of Jesus Christ testing this Gentile woman's faith here. Or to put it another way, as Mark Strauss writes, of Jesus Christ trying to elicit the correct response from this woman here in order to see if she will claim what is rightfully hers, that being the opportunity to also receive the blessings of God in this new age of salvation, since Jesus Christ is not limited, church, to only being able to bless a certain group of people from a certain tongue or tribe or nation. Or to paraphrase David Burgess here, there once was a large family with 11 children who one day accidentally left one of them behind in a motel in Denver and then proceeded to travel several hundred miles before realizing that one of their children was missing. Now the father, he didn't just continue on by saying, oh well, at least we still have 10 children left. But instead, the father turned around and instantly began to try to find the lost child, which he ended up doing out by the Kansas state line where a police officer had brought his lost child. And God, he is like this father, and that his love is for all of his children in all people groups, those who are poor and those who are rich, those who are reputable and those who are lowly, those who society accepts and even those who society rejects. And that is what Jesus Christ was trying to get across to the Pharisees and the scribes, who instead believed that the tax collectors and the sinners and the unclean Gentiles should be rejected by Jesus Christ and seen as nothing more than that of unclean, worthless scum. And thus, simply because the good news of the kingdom of God was given first church to Israel. For that does not mean that the good news of the kingdom of God was given only to that of Israel, and that Jesus Christ came only to seek and to save that of the people of Israel, because that would be, quite frankly, church, too small a thing, too light a thing, too trivial a thing, insignificant a thing, and quite simply not enough of a thing for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, to do, since Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, came into this world, church, to be a light to all the nations, to bring salvation 
to all the nations to be the Savior for all the nations and to sprinkle his redeeming blood on all the nations of the earth. Also that Jew and Gentile alike can receive the very blessings of God, become part of the very kingdom of God, and be adopted forever and ever and ever, church, into the very family of God. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. For even the crumbs of our God's grace are enough to completely satisfy those who come to him in faith. For even the crumbs of our God's grace are enough to completely satisfy those who come to him in faith. Verses 28 through 30, which reads, But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So remember here, church, that the woman in our text today, a Gentile woman, mind you, that she has come to Jesus Christ at this time begging for him to cast the demon out of her daughter. To which Jesus Christ then, he says back to her in verse 27, that the children are to be fed first and that it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I just love here, church, this humble and yet so courageous and persevering response from this Gentile woman here back to Jesus Christ. As she says to him in verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's bread. As in, to initially accept your church with great respect and humility and meekness the priority of the Jews within the ministry of Jesus Christ only to then go on, as we see in verse 28, and say that even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And what this Gentile woman is doing here, church, is taking Jesus' original analogy that it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, and she is expanding on it here, if you will, or running with it here, if you will, in order to make the point that although the children in the family are to eat first, that while those children do eat, naturally some crumbs do still fall to the floor. And thus the dogs then who are located under the table at this time are able to eat as well. And thus in putting all of this together here this morning, church, as the late R.C. Sproul describes it, for it's as if this Gentile woman who replies back to Jesus Christ here, that she is acknowledging that she knows that she is not one of the Jewish children at this time, and thus not privy to the same advantages of the Jewish children at this time, but instead, just like all the other Gentiles at this time, is playing the role of the dog in the analogy here. Nevertheless, she still humbly and meekly and with persevering faith comes to Jesus Christ Christ here and begs him for just one crumb of his mercy here to fall from the table since she knows that just one crumb of the mercy of Jesus Christ will be enough to satisfy her church and to completely heal that of her daughter. And with that, 
It's as if she brilliantly then passes this test. And I say that because Jesus Christ then, he says to her in verse 29, for this statement, you may go on your way for the demon has left your daughter. Or as Matthew writes in his gospel, a woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And with that, she goes home then, church, and sees that indeed, verse 30, Jesus Christ has casted the demon out of her daughter and has made her daughter well, and not because of her wit here, church, nor because of her cleverness here, church, nor because of her intelligence, shrewdness, sharpness, or argument here, church, but instead because of her great faith in Jesus Christ here, church. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who is here first. In order, non-Christian, to lovingly remind you at this time that your eternal salvation is not dependent on who your parents are or what nationality you are, or how smart you are, how witty you are, how capable you are, or how good you think that you are, because the only thing that does really matter, non-Christian, in terms of your eternal salvation, is that you come to Jesus Christ in faith. And I say that because, non-Christian, God the Father the creator of heaven and earth, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to save us non-Christian from our very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that for us non-Christian by initially living for us the life that we could never live. And what I mean by that is that although we as sinners fall victim to sin each and every day and break the very law of God each and every day, Jesus Christ, he never broke that law once, even though he was tempted by sin, non-Christian, just like you and I, but instead fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God in and of itself, that was not enough, non-Christian, to save sinners from their sins. And I say that because the price of our sin, or the cost of our sin, non-Christian, it is that of death. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then, he willingly took our sins upon himself and died a sinner's death in our place. And as our very substitute, by being nailed and crucified on a cross at Calvary, and in doing so, appeased and satisfied the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And in order to prove that that was the case, non-Christian, Jesus Christ then, this sinless Son of God, who satisfied the wrath of a holy God, all for the very children of God, three days later then Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead he rose from the grave and defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust 
trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we close today, I'd like to do so by focusing again on the great and on the persevering faith of the Gentile woman from our text today. And I want to do so because after she comes up to Jesus Christ, and falls down at the feet of Jesus Christ, and begs Jesus Christ to cast the demon out of her daughter, Jesus Christ, he does not instantly say to her, yes, ma'am, or absolutely, ma'am, or of course, ma'am, whatever you want, ma'am, or your wish is my command, ma'am. But instead, as previously mentioned, Jesus Christ, he says to her in verse 27, that it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And the woman who came to Jesus Christ here, begging him to heal her daughter, she does not, church, get offended by Jesus Christ here, or walk away from Jesus Christ here, or give up on Jesus Christ here, stop seeking Jesus Christ here, or decide that she's had enough of Jesus Christ here, but instead she just keeps persistently in faith interceding on behalf of her daughter here. Now, a pastor by the name of Charles Kingsley, he once said that persistent effort is not in and of itself true faith, but that persistent effort always accompanies true faith. And that thunder alone never split the heart of an oak tree, but that thunder always accompanies the lightning's flash in order to tell of the lightning's presence. Or to put it another way, a farmer does not show his faith by simply lying in his bed all day waiting for God to plow the field and to sow the seed, but instead the farmer is the one who plows the field and sows the seed and shows his faith by waiting for God to grant the increase. For God's winds are always blowing, and thus the man of faith simply spreads his sails so that God can fill it. Therefore, although God might seem silent at first and might not grant your initial request, he might be keeping you waiting, Christian, only so that he can be gracious to you later. And thus, if you are sitting there this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, frustrated that God hasn't answered your prayers yet and cured your mother's cancer yet or healed your 
grandfather's dementia yet, or given a new job to your husband yet, a new friend to your child yet, a new car to your sister yet, or called that family member of yours to saving faith in Jesus Christ yet, then lovingly, let me encourage you, Christian, to not stop praying or interceding on behalf of your loved ones, since that is exactly what Satan wants you to do, and that he wants you to get bogged down, Christian, and frustrated, Christian, and to abstain from praying for one another, Christian, when God's not giving to you, Christian, the exact answer that you want at the exact moment you want it. And that's because of that, Christian, and because of the fact that we have also been called in the very Word of God to pray for one another, and to pray over one another, and to lift each other, to lift each up, uh, to lift each other up in prayer, and to help each other in prayer. For how then can we ever be a faithful church body if we fail to intercede for one another in prayer? And thus, practically speaking here, church, let me lovingly then encourage you all this morning to get into the practice each and every Monday of printing out our new church prayer list or saving our new church prayer list to your iPhone or iPad or tablet or what have you and to then begin praying, church, and making petitions, church, and interceding, church, on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ and then see just how profoundly your God works, church, in and through the power of prayer. And thus, let us not become a church family that is selfish in prayer, or egotistical in prayer, or only self-seeking, self-serving, self-regarding, and self-obsessed in prayer, but instead let us be a church body that is steadfast in prayer, and persistent in prayer, persevering in prayer, and faithful in prayer each and every day, on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, since to do the opposite of that church is to not bear one another's burdens and thus not fulfill the law of Christ. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body not only be a church that prays, but that we be a church that prays for one another. For how easy it can become, Lord, for us to be selfish in our prayers and to only pray for our own needs and for our own wants, our own desires, and for nothing more than ourselves when you have made clear, Lord, that we as Christians are to pray for one another, for our pastors and for our elders, for our widows and for the sick, for our friends and for our family, for our loved ones and our neighbor, and even for those who persecute us, since we are to pray for all men. Therefore, let us take serious this call, Father, of persevering in faith manifested in our persistent prayers for one another, knowing that your power, God, is infinite, that your ways, God, are holy, and that your will, God, will always be done. And thus, let us willingly and humbly and consistently pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and with great joy, watch our mighty and sovereign God answer our prayers perfectly, all according to the counsel of his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us marvel this morning at the perseverance and the 
willingness to intercede persistently of this Gentile woman on behalf of her daughter. What courage to come up to the Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and to plead with him. But Father, let us also marvel this morning at this dear woman's faith, knowing that just a crumb from the table, just a crumb of the grace of God, Lord, that that would satisfy her. Father, give us that mindset as well, knowing that just a crumb of the grace of God is enough to satisfy us through eternity. And yet let us realize, Father, that our God has not only given us a crumb, but he has lavished on us grace upon grace. How good our heavenly Father is. Father, let us see ourselves this morning for who we are. Dogs under the table. Let us be content to only see, receive crumbs. And yet let us realize that God in his mercy has reached down, has brought us out from under the table, and has placed us at the table as his children. What a wonderful picture of salvation, Father, you have given us today. Once your enemy, once dogs under the table, now we have been reconciled back to the Father, and we sit at his heavenly table, and we will do so forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.